So Matt asked me to preach this week. He asked me to preach what was on my heart, and the problem is that I had about half a dozen things on my heart. So this week for me has been very, very interesting because I've, I've honestly kicked around in my head about eight different things that I wanted to talk about today, but I think this is the thing. I think this is the thing. With everything, though, I pray that this is God speaking through me. But as with everything that you hear from everyone that's up the front here, you need to take it away and you need to test it. So what my prayer is, is that there is something in here that speaks to you. And particularly, I hope there's something in here that speaks to you guys. So let's see where we go. Life's an adventure. So what I've really felt that God wanted me to speak on this morning is a journey that I've been on. It's a journey that I've been on pretty much since church camp last year and some work that's been going on in me. When I typed in, I'll give you a little insight, especially when I, my creative process, when I'm talking talking to you guys and stuff like that is, half of my creative process is listening to God and finding out what he is. It's talking through me, what it is I want to do. The other half of it is scouring Google to find good pictures to stick in my sermon. Yeah, that's about the right ratio. When I typed in what I was going to talk about, the topic that I was going to talk about, today, this is the first picture that came up on Google. No? There we go. Anyone know who that is? Spoilers. Yeah, yeah. And everyone's familiar with Millionaire, right? Which is, it's not funny if I don't point out the joke, so I'm not going to point out the joke. Anyhow, that was literally the first thing that came up. What I really felt pushed to talk about today, choice. So. Have you ever looked at a word long enough that it starts to look really weird? Choice is one of those words. It's the I, right? It's just weird. So, choice. What does choice mean? Look, we all do. We all have choices, right? So I'll give you a little bit of backstory. When I was growing up, my family, my mother is a very strong Christian. My father is not a Christian. My brother's not a Christian. But I am. My mum took me along early. In fact, she took me out of school and got me baptised. And I think it was age five or six, took me out of school saying that my dad wouldn't know that I'd gone and got baptised. So I grew up with a strong Christian role model and I grew up in church. I was playing trumpet in church since I was seven years old. I grew up through, through church and um, various roles within it, primarily to do with worship and stuff like that. When I got to the age of, I'm looking at my wife because she knows this story better than me, 17, 18, I had a lot of prophecy spoken over me, as you do. You're a young person in the church, especially when you're in a penty church, right? So, and especially when you're a musician who's a kid in a penty church, a lot of travelling preachers go, right, I've got a word for you, pal. And it's about, you know, you're going to save the world. You're going to write songs. You're going to do this. I had a lot of prophecies. When I was about 17 or 18, I was just fishing up HSC because we lived up. We had a guy who came, and he was right, but it was a terrible thing to say. And he prophesied over me. He said that, you will walk away from the church. You'll come back and your ministry will be stronger, but you will walk away from the church. Now, I was a 17, 18-year-old guy who was just about to go away to uni, away from everyone. Uh, any, any Christian influence I had, because Ren didn't uh, move until the following year. So I was going down to the Big Smoke, Newcastle. For those of you... <laughs> for me, that it was Big Smoke. Yeah, literally was. And so that, to me, was, yes, I embraced <laughs> I embraced that prophecy. So I did. I walked away from the church. But 
I came back and I did come back and I believe that I did come back and my ministries have been stronger since then and I've stepped into stuff that I never thought that I would step into and there's stuff that I can do because of that walk and things like that. So, and now I'm a, I'm a 43-year-old man who stands here in front of you and talks now, right? Have I fulfilled any of those prophecies that were spoken over me when I was a kid? Maybe one or two, but not all of them. Was my mindset that I was now at 43 past it and too old to do those things that I was supposed to do? Yes. Was that a choice that I had made? Yes. I had made that choice in my head that that's, I was done. So really before camp, I was running on what I would say is autopilot in that I knew God, I knew that he loved me, I knew that he blessed me abundantly with the stuff that I had to do, I knew I was his child, I knew what that entailed, but of what, of what I was doing here on a Sunday, in the congregation, at work during the week, in just, just in my general life, a lot of it, I was running on what you would call Christian autopilot. Now when you get in a car and you drive into somewhere, I don't know if this happens to everyone else, but it does happen to me, and I am easily distracted, so I will stick my head up for that. But you'll turn into the street that you like to home, and you'll go, oh, I'm already at the street that I'm at home. You don't remember it. Like, you, you've, you've just travelled from wherever it is you've travelled from. Like, you've obeyed all the road rules. You've stopped at all the stop. You've done all of that stuff. You've done all of it. Photos or it didn't happen. You've done all of that stuff, but you've done it all on autopilot. And I think the trap that we have, and the trap, well, the thing that I was doing is that, that that's why, how I was living my life. I was living my life on Christian autopilot. I knew what to say when to say it. Sometimes I would step into stuff, but I was fairly reticent to do that. I would much rather sit back in my comfort zone and, and not do too much, right? So I was shocked out of that by Andrew when we were at camp when uh, he prayed for me and he reminded me of the stuff that I was, and that God keeps his promises. And, uh, what I could be doing. So I've been mulling over that since camp. Now camp was last year, when? August last year. So I've been on a journey since then, <laughs> constantly trying to push myself out. And, and the, the thing that kept on coming back, well, the verse that I keep coming back to is this one, which is uh, Romans 12.2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. I've underlined the bit there because that's the bit that's been resonating with me over this past little bit. And that is the renewing of my mind, the looking at those choices that I have made along the way and looking at the why and laying those stuff back at the feet of God and going, is this stuff that I need to sacrifice? Is this stuff that I need to get rid of? Am I looking at this wrong? Am I looking at this and some things? Am I looking at this with the eyes of the seven-year-old kid in church and not as the 43-year-old man that I am now and the experience and the stuff that God has shown me since then? So I guess my challenge is if I'm thinking that or if I, if I run that way, I guess that there are probably some people here today that possibly doing the same thing. So this, what I'm talking about, is is about that. Let's get out of uh, let's get out of autopilot. I think there's a couple of things that allow us to justify being on that, being on autopilot. Anyone 
Tesla's thing for running their cars as autopilot. It's been a great success. Um, so choice is a funny thing, right? Every day we make choices. You've made choices this morning. Younger guys, some of those choices have probably made for you this morning. But you've made choices this morning. So, you know, unless you felt greatly moved or you felt convicted by the Holy Spirit this morning, God doesn't typically care which coloured socks you wore or how you combed your hair, if you combed your hair, if you've got hair, or what route you took to church. But in saying that, there are times where God will specifically tell you to take a different route to church. So, you've had all these choices, or did you have those choices? One of the big theological questions that comes up again and again is a thing called predetermination. Does anyone know what that means? What does it mean? Jono. Correct. Very good. Very good. That was, that was almost word for word what I had, word for word what I copied out of, no, it's not true. Um, so, the question is, does man have a free will? Does God give us free will? Most frequently asked question of theology. At times it's not voiced as a question, but more as an objection to the sovereignty of God. At the heart of the problem, I guess, is the definition of what we say is free will. Briefly, free simply means that, that you and I have an ability to choose what we want. That's free will. Such an ability requires a presence of mind, a will, and a desire. They're the three things that, that make up that. If they're present and functioning, then you've got free will. The interesting thing, or the irony of free will, is that to have free will, you actually have, a cho- you have to make a choice to have free will. So it's one of those circular arguments. Anyhow... Free will does not mean that a man can choose to do anything they please and, and necessarily succeed with that thing that they've chosen. I could choose to fly without any sort of aids at all. I could just choose, you know what, I'm going to fly. I'm going to get up on the roof and I'm going to fly. Will I fly? I'll fly straight down. Yeah. Deceleration trauma, they call it, when you hit the ground. So for that, I lack the, the necessary equipment to fly. I don't have uh, wings. That doesn't mean that I'm not free. I'm free to make that choice that I think I can fly. See, our free will uh, in itself, there's a freedom that's limited by our limitations. The same way when I said this morning that sometimes, like, you guys may have made choices or someone may have made choices for you, being your parents or whatever it is. Sometimes our will gets outvoted by the will of majority or by higher power. But that doesn't eliminate the fact that I have free will. Because I can still think and make decisions and have. So, one of the important, uh, one of the most important limits I think that we have on our freedom is ourselves. So we're all aware that there are people within the church and people outside the church who find comfort in that deterministic view of God. Yeah, and I'm sure. Now, again, this is my heresy, so embrace it if you will. But there are people who will come to you when stuff has happened and will say everything happens for a reason. Yeah? We've had two kids diagnosed with diabetes. We've heard that line a lot of times. Or uh, you may hear the line of it's all part of a master plan or that it's, you know, that was fated to happen or it's predestined to happen. I think, I don't think that's a balanced biblical view. The outworking of that says some pretty terrible things about God because if everything happens for a reason, then he's going to be responsible 
for a lot of the heartbreak and pain and hurt and stuff like that that's happened within our lives. And it also lets us off the hook for some terrible decisions that we make because we just go, oh, it's all for a, it's all for a purpose. It's all for a, a reason. We worship a God who gives us free will and makes us morally responsible for what our actions are. So, but, and, and we know, though, that in the end, despite our poor choices and despite what goes on, he'll ultimately have his way and he'll ultimately bring goodwill. Jesus' life, death and resurrection shows us that. The gospel teaches us. But in the meanwhile, while we're here and while we're waiting for Christ, we have some choices to make. The human race itself was damned by a choice. This is the power of what it is that we have in our heads every single day with what it is that we do. Eve chose to eat from the tree. That was a choice. That is the power of choice. The bookend of that story is another choice. An amazing choice that happened in the garden before Christ was crucified. When he prayed, Father, take this from me. But if it's your will, I'll do it. He made a choice. We look to the cross as our salvation. We look to the crucifixion. And you can go to many, 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 many churches around the world and you'll see Jesus on the cross. I'd actually argue that the moment of our salvation was in the garden the night before when he made the choice that led him to that road. But I think Christ in the garden is harder to stick on a statue. Yeah, the power of choice affects your destiny. Choosing God's way is often the harder way, um, but you can absolutely 100% be sure that he's going to reward you for that choice. There's a guy, Charles Stanley, who has a great quote. He says, Obey God and leave all the consequences to him. The flip side of that is, which is another quote that he's got, is disobey God and all the consequences are yours. I love it. For us as believers, the power of choice itself is limited. We still have the free will to choose, but the limit is between God's way or the world's way. This is how we view the choices that we make. On the surface, God's way seems restrictive, but the truth is that God's way is the path to freedom. Jesus says in John, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, then you will know the truth, and truth will set you free. It's the ultimate paradox, right? By losing our life in Christ, we gain it. If we get back to the everything happens for a purpose, one, the thing that I hold on to with that is this from Paul. Romans 8.28, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. So what Paul's saying is that not everything happens for a purpose, but with God, everything can happen with a purpose. I guess the other great illustration of that that I always come to is even in the Lord's Prayer when uh, we pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why would we pray that his will be done on earth if it was being done here already? Again, we make that choice. We are his hands and feet in that. God is able to bring purpose and meaning to our choices, even our poor ones, even the stuff, times where we've stuffed up. God can bring purpose to those. All we need to do is answer his call to follow him and trust. Or as... Um, Someone I read said, God has given you a brain, use it. Because he gets glory in that as well. 
He created you. He created you exactly the way that you are and the way that you think. The other big stopper that I came up with, and this one's interesting. It took me a while to unpack how this works, but someone displayed it as um, buyer's remorse. I would probably call it, call it analysis paralysis, which is a, it's actually a board gaming term for too many options, and you can't work out what it is that you want to do. So it, it's, we all know what buyer's remorse is, right? So I think as Christians, when we are seeking an answer to a question or seeking an answer to a choice that we have, sometimes that choice is not between good and bad. This is a good choice and this is a bad choice. Sometimes it's between two good choices. You know, I'm committed to this church. I really feel the call to move in this ministry and this ministry, but I can't do both because I'm not two people and there's only so many hours in the day. Which one should I choose? They're both good. I can see myself working in both of them. How do I make the choice? Some decisions like that we, we can make instantly without any hesitation because we feel a prompting to, okay, that's that. Yes, I definitely know which way to go. But always a good one. James uh, 1.5 says, If any of you lack wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But if you're like me, you want the answer for your choice to jump off the page. God, show me now. Holy Spirit, audibly tell me what it is that you want me <laughs> to do. A bit Darth Vadery. Who's done a fleece prayer? Yes? Yeah, yeah. I think it's actually one of the rights of being in a... Who's after that still not name on it? I found this really cool. Four questions to ask if there's more than one good choice. For those people who like lists, but it actually works. First one, lo and behold, what does the Bible say? So the Bible's God's words put on a paper, right? You can agree with that. It also helps us check our motives to see whether we're making a decision for the appropriate reason with a pure heart. If you read the Bible and something doesn't gel, then something's going on. Hebrews 4.12, for those who are writing stuff down, uh, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any two-edged. Two, does this confirm what God has already told me to do? Chances are God has probably already spoken to you about it, and sometimes we need to recall that. We never want to make a choice that hinders us from what God has already called us to do. Each decision we make should be a step further along the journey to where God's laid it out for us. Number three, would someone wiser have got to find someone? <laughs> the reality is, if you look around the congregation now, there are people here who will help you in that journey. Wiser doesn't necessarily mean smarter. It might mean more. And also there's a, there's a, there's an in, there's a difference between intelligence and wisdom. Beard, white beard. Grey in the beard's a good sign. Okay. There's a difference between intelligence and wisdom. I'm saying this to the kids. Intelligence is knowing that tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is not putting it in a fruit salad. That's good. No, it was supposed to be a laugh. That's good. It's important. It calls to community. It calls to what it is that we're actually supposed to be doing, right? And the fourth is, does it glorify God? Is what you're debating actually going to be God the glory? Or you the glory? Someone else the glory? Because in the end, like add glory back to God. So... There is one other thing that God brought to me around choices and why sometimes we don't make them. And that is around letting others do it for us. That is literally a pie chart of a lot of people that I work with. Except the Think Rashly wedge is a bit smaller. So, good illustration. It's a Friday night and you've just... It's been a hectic week. You don't want to cook. So you decide that you're going to go through Macca's drive through that is a bad decision. I am living proof of that bad decision. It's one of the choices that I'm still paying for. So, 
You go through Macca's drive through and you come up to the speaker box, whatever it's called, where you're going to make your order. And whoever it is says, you know, can I take your order, please? And you say, sure. What am I having for dinner? Who does that? He goes to a restaurant, sits down, pays a whole heap of money to go to a restaurant, and then when he gets asked, what is it that you would like to eat, goes, what am I eating? I don't know. What am I eating? It's the same with our life. There is... Um, Sometimes we can, we can be part of a situation where that's happening and you don't even know that's happening. Back in the, I want to say it's the 60s, it could have been later, but it was when they used to experiment on animals, so whenever. I don't know. You might have heard of this experiment, Sam, actually, in the stuff that you're doing. So they had a big cage full of monkeys. Now, I do in no way condone experimenting on monkeys. However, this is a good illustration of something. So bear with me. Giant cage full of monkeys. They would stick a banana in the top of the cage. If a monkey went for the banana, they would electrify the cage. So all the monkeys would get shocked. So they did that for a period of time until all of the monkeys, if, any, if a banana was presented at the top of the cage, if any monkey went for the banana, all of the other monkeys would drag the monkey, would drag the monkey back down, would freak out. Don't grab the banana, we're all going to get zapped. Then what they would do is they took half the monkeys out and they put in a new batch of monkeys and then they presented the banana. <laughs> and then when the new monkeys went to go get the banana, the other half of the monkeys that had been in the cage for a while dragged those monkeys down so they couldn't touch the banana so they couldn't get zapped. Then they took out the, half, the other half of the monkeys that had been zapped and replaced it with new monkeys. So now your monkey makeup in the cage is... Not a single monkey has been zapped, right? But half of them have lived for a couple of weeks where when they've gone to go and get a banana, they've been dragged down, and the others are brand new monkeys. So when they presented a, the banana at the top of the cage, what do you reckon happened? They all got dragged down. Not a single one of those monkeys had ever experienced getting electrocuted to get a banana. <laughs> Poor monkeys. It was an unwritten ground rule. Around here, we do this. Around here, you don't go for the banana because if you go there for the banana, you're going to get zapped. So you don't go for the banana. So sometimes our choices get held by that. Around here, we don't do that. So you don't do that. Around here, we don't testify in church. We don't give testimony. So don't give testimony. In church, we don't speak in tongues. So don't speak in tongues. In church, we don't pray for each other, so don't pray for each other. Have we ever seen a bad outcome of any of those things in church? Have we? Yes. Sometimes our minds get made up for us. So, the whole topic of this was about, though, renewing your mind. So we're talking about the things that stop us. What does it mean to renew our mind? I think, or the part that I've taken out of what it is that Paul was saying, was that it's about looking at those things and those beliefs that we hold and those those decisions that we've made and those choices that we've made. And it's looking at why we make them. It's holding them up to the light of God and saying, is that actually from you? Is that something that, that I should be doing or is it just me saying that I should be doing that or not doing that or not stepping into that or not doing whatever so 
How does the renewal happen? Your renewal happen? Well, thankfully, God's given us a free, some good places to start. Funnily enough, the first point's the same point as the other thing. But when you don't know what to do, read your Bible. It's a key thing. For me, I would, and I still do, although not as much now because I work from home a couple of days a week, but the first thing that I do, and it's a habit that I've built, is that when I get up and I get on the train to go to work in the morning, is that I read the Bible. Pre this walk that I've been on, it would be I'm reading the Bible because it's what I do. Not ticking a box, but I read the Bible. So I will read the Bible. Now, when I read the Bible, over morning, and it's still the same thing, I'm still doing the same thing, but I make a choice. And one of the things that I do before it is that I will pray before it, God, if there's something, give me something. And if there's not, that's okay. But I actually am mindful in it. I'm not trying to just autopilot through it. This is what I do at 5.30 in the morning. I get on the train, I open up my Bible on my phone and I read. I try and be present in it. Yeah? God wants us to cherish his word. The Bible is God's love letter to his people. It's our family history. It's a place where we can go for help. We can go for instruction and comfort, perspective. It's a good leveler. As a very smart man said to me the last couple of weeks is, not everything turns out great for everyone who follows God. We know the end and we know the victory. I would say, if you have trouble hearing from God when you're praying, open up the Bible. Because he's already started a conversation with you there. Surround yourself with other Christians. Well, you're all here. Proverbs 27.17. Favourite verse of mine. Anyone else remember it? No? Correct. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. I'm sure that's a favourite of everyone because everyone loves having that scripture quoted back to them when they're in some sort of conflict. Right? But it's biblical. If we want to grow, we need to surround ourselves with other Christians who will challenge us to rely more and more on who God is. Third one. Commit to what God says. Change doesn't come without commitment. If we want to see lasting change in anything, including our relationship with God, we have to be willing to stick with it regardless of whatever else is going on in our lives. The thing that I got challenged by God yesterday, and I'm going a bit off book here, is that we're all very fond of saying that we're born with a God-shaped hole in our lives. Yes? I think the focus of that statement's wrong. In the world that we live in today, we, we try to find time for God. In between our work, day to day, you know, taking the kids, to, well, for, actually it's not for me so much, but for Ren, taking the kids to school and stuff like that. I don't really do that, but I go to work. In that day to day, the struggle that we always talk about is filling that God shape, like, is finding time for God. I think possibly we've got the perspective of that around the wrong way. What if we lived if God was the number one priority and we have to struggle to find time to find everything else that's in it? Shocking, I know. Hard to put wheels under and actually work, I know. But I think the right thing to say is that we have a void in our life that we need to fill with God. I don't think we have a hole because a hole limits what God can do. I think what we have is a... We need to have a perspective shift. 
We need to come to a new revelation of what it means to follow Christ. But it's hard. No one says it's easy. Is that your phone, Loren? Corinthians 1, 15 to 58 says, I don't have it up there, but always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. These things um, that we have in our lives that blind us to what it is that God makes, these choices these, that God wants us to do, these choices that we make, these priorities that we give, the key thing is the last one. And that is that we need to revisit and reevaluate these things regularly. Because I'll tell you now, the stuff that worked for you 10 years ago probably isn't working for you now. I saw a quote the other day that said, the same mind that came up with the problem you're living with can't deliver the solution. So something has to change. And the choice for us is simple, right? It's God's way or it's the world's way. It's simple, but it ain't. Like most things. So, what I would like us to do is spend some time with God, just focusing on Him and assessing some of the decisions that we've made and, uh, yeah, what He's saying into them. As we renew our minds and we put our focus on God, we'll hear from Him. I have no doubt. So what... I would like to do now is we're just going to have a time of reflection. So Sam's going to come up and play a song. And then we're going to play some more songs. But the first song that Sam's going to sing, there's no, there's no words for it. And because that legitimately want everyone to spend some time with God. Because there's nothing he like more than to spend some time with you. If after you've spent some time you would like some prayer. There are some people around who, how are we going to manage that? Um, and you know what? Now, that in itself is great. We will have those people over there in prayer. But I'm reminded of a, an absolute pearl of wisdom that my wife dropped about a month ago. So I'm going to share it with you. But I'm giving you, the, I'm not claiming any of this. So that's, no, fair enough. Fair enough. I might not. I might not articulate it as well as you did, honey. You might have to get up. Do not see getting up and going for prayer first off as a sign of weakness or as a sign of whatever it is. I grew up. We grew up in a generation where if if everything was broken and all the rest, that's you went up for prayer, right? Oh, I need prayer because my life's crap. And even now. We ask for prayer. If someone says, oh, you know, can I pray with you? What would you like prayer for? There's a very, something's broken, we need to fix it, arrangement going on. If you sit there and you have some time by yourself and God gives you a revelation, you pray into that, and you're freed of something and all the rest of it. Go over there and pray with these guys in celebration of the fact that God has done something with you. And you know what, Simon, I just want to pray with you right now and claim the victory that I've just had. That's as much as prayer is, is I've got to go and fix something because I'm broken. Yes, that is prayer. Did I say it right? Good. So that's, we limit ourselves, church. We limit ourselves. Let's close. Enter into that time of reflection.
once Sam gets off the phone. Uh, all good? All good? So while we reflect, yeah, I just invite you to think about your choices. If you've made poor ones, that's okay. If you think, actually, you know what? If you think you've made choices that limit you from being where it is that you should be, if you think you've made choices that divorce you from God so that you can't get to wherever it is, it's good news. I've got one question for you. Are you breathing? Are you breathing? Then there's still time. <laughs> right? There's still time. God's grace doesn't fail. So let's take some time with him. Receive his grace where we need to be where we need it. Renew our commitment to making those choices that keep us a faithful disciple of Jesus. So that God can keep making beautiful things out of us.